One thing that we found prominently missing in the literature was the impact of taking psychedelics on what I would call what makes humans humans, which tends to be connection, love, compassion, wellness. So the data that I'll talk about in a minute is not American data, it's human data. Humans don't just live in America. Only one out of 20 human in the world lives in America. 19 out of 20 live outside of America. And this is an international study. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Rakesh Jain, a highly accomplished psychiatrist and researcher with an extensive background in substance abuse, mood and pain conditions, and the impact of medications on mental health. Dr. Jane has been recognized for his contributions to the field with numerous awards, including being named Public Citizen of the Year by the National Association of Social Workers and receiving Teacher of the Year Award at a recent U.S. Psychiatric Congress. He recently presented at the Psychedelic Science 2023 MAPS Convention, where we're an official podcast uh, media partner, and I am very excited to delve into the insights he has and the experiences from his talk at the convention. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience. All right, all right, all right, Dr. Jane, how are you today? How's it going? I am good. Thank you very much. And please do call me Rakesh. And it was lovely to hear you actually highlight two of my proudest accomplishments, which aren't all the degrees and all the academic awards. It really had to do with being called the public citizen of the year and the teacher of the year. Those are two of my proudest accomplishments. So thank you, Keith, for talking about it. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, you you really ran a session that uh, really was uh, quite incredible. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of your background and maybe how you came uh, became interested in studying the relationship between substance abuse, mental health, and this area of psychedelic-assisted therapy to help individuals be present for themselves and for others? Yes, Keith. So you may or may not find this interesting. I did not start my career as a psychiatrist. I actually started as a radiation oncologist, so a cancer mm. doctor. Mm. And in fact, psychiatry came calling to me. Uh, psychiatric disorders are fairly prevalent in my family. And I saw the devastation these disorders can create in human life. But even that wasn't what got me interested in psychiatry. It was in fact seeing when psychiatry is at the top of its game, what an positive impact it can have on human life. So I actually switched careers in my late 20s and came to psychiatry. And 31 some years later, I'm happy to report to you, it's been a very positive experience. Wow. If you look at my career, Keith, it's uh, as boring as it gets. It's as <laughs> beige as it gets uh, until the last 10 years ago or so. So it's a pretty good career. I have been a professor of psychiatry at the medical school, mm -hmm. also taught at the nurse practitioner program, but I did become deeply dissatisfied with what my profession was doing to help a large number of people. Uh, by all means, we were helping some people lose their symptoms, 
but we were not helping people get back to life. Hmm. So psychedelics sort of stepped into my world initially, primarily <laughs> when I was working in the emergency room, primarily as a drug to be avoided. Hmm. So when we saw patients high on PCP or ecstasy, or sometimes even psilocybin, our thought was, aha, see, these substances are awful. These are mm. God awful. Mm. But what happened, I think about a decade plus ago is patients started percolating into my practice, gently, gently informing me that they had gotten away from me in the sense of I couldn't help them. They found help on their own from psychedelics and psychedelic therapies and gradually I had more of an open mind than I ever had before. In the last 10 years, I have really started doing considerable amount of research in this area and obviously a considerable amount of what I do in my clinical work also has to do with psychedelics. So I hope that gives you an overview that I did not come to psychedelics as a believer at all. Mm. And it's been a gradual stepwise process for me to accept and and literally interject into myself the great importance of psychedelic medicine in the betterment of humanity. Wow. Well, I, I, I love the fact that you sort of had a, a revelation, an awakening, if you will, in terms of seeing uh, some of the benefits and uh, actually seeing a way that you could go ahead and make a, a difference. And your session at the Psychedelic uh, Science 2023 MAPS convention was entitled Wellness and Psychedelics, Exploring the Data from 3,000 Individuals. I'm interested, uh, and I'm sure many are, uh, for those who couldn't attend, what the key takeaways or findings uh, were, uh, and do you believe they have significant implications on individuals and mental health? Keith, I certainly hope so, because the findings were pretty incredible. So I'll give you and the listeners a bit of background. So the data was presented at the meeting by Dr. Sandra Jain, who is uh, a co-founder of a project along with me called PAWS, P-A-W-S. It's still enrolling. It's called Psychedelics and Wellness Survey. So you have, and I am completely sure others have seen a large number of surveys in the last five years showing that people who take psychedelics have improvement in a variety of things. Mm -hmm. One thing that we found prominently missing in the literature was the impact of taking psychedelics on what I would call what makes humans humans, mm -hmm. which tends to be connection, which tends to be love, which tends to be compassion, which tends to be, yes, wellness. We did not find much literature in it. So we went out to the world community, Keith. So the data that I'll talk about in a minute is not American data, it's human data. Hmm. Humans don't just live in America. Only, you know, it's interesting, only one out of 20 human in the world lives in America. Mm -hmm. 19 out of 20 live outside of America. And this is an international study. And what we found, what we found, Keith, was a profound change people experienced and reported, certainly in depression and anxiety, but
but in a very large number of markers of reconnection of people with self. Hmm. So people discovered happiness inside them. People discovered enthusiasm, resilience, and very interestingly, optimism. We also found a deep vein of reconnectivity with society and with altruism and with ethical behaviors. Hmm. And then finally, we found in our research, a very deep connection people experienced as a result of psychedelic treatments on self. These were not people who, for most part, received formalized psychotherapy with the universe, with society, with families, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out, Keith, that it was not all, um, you know, rainbows and flowers and meadows, about 13% of people reported some type of harm or another that befall them, that came about on them as a result of psychedelic. That was 13%, you said? It was 13%. I do have good news, even though 13% is in fact a rather, rather large number. Real harm, big harm, if you will. Uh, I would call three things big harm. A desire to harm others, mm -hmm. desire to commit crime, and a desire to die by suicide. Those three were quite low, significantly less than 1%. Mm -hmm. But one thing we did discover in our work is while the majority of individuals do experience quite a positive wellness signal, from the naturalistic use of psychedelics, that is not uniformly true. Mm. And then lies the reason, Keith, that this podcast is important. Mm. It is to remind people while psychedelics are a major force for good, in some vulnerable individuals, they may be a force for trouble. Mm. Mm. You know, I uh, we always talk about uh, preparation set and setting and uh, then, of course, uh, from the viewpoint of the matrix, the viewpoint of where you go back to and how you go ahead and take those insights, uh, there's activation. There's the ability to actually, you know, integrate those insights into your life. I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts on the potential role of psychedelics in treating mental health disorders, particularly when combined with mindfulness practices. In other words, breathing, what I call presencing, of mind, body, spirit, food, recharging, our relationships with people, places and things, because that's also a very big part of the work that you've been doing in terms of addiction and working with people who have these misuse behaviors, if you will. I'm wondering if you have some thoughts about that. Yes, our audience members can't watch me. They can just hear my voice. But I immediately started smiling when mm. you brought up mindfulness and meditation. And there's perhaps a reason for it. And the reason is maybe a decade before I came into appreciating the value of psychedelic sciences, I appreciated the value of mindfulness, mm. mindlessness. Mm -hmm which is, of course, the complete opposite of mindfulness, I do think, Keith, is a major source of human misery. Hmm. Depression is mindfulness mm -hmm. with the plight of your past. And anxiety is mindfulness mm -hmm. of what awaits you in the future. Hmm. 
So in other words, getting hung up on the past or getting hung up on the future. Yeah? You nailed it. And <laughs> excesses in both direction are highly problematic. And isn't it just miraculous that both mindfulness practices of all kinds, and I'm agnostic to which particular mindfulness technique a person follows as long as they follow one, but the practice of mindfulness, especially when combined with the benefits of psychedelic medicine may be a true augmentation, if not a synergistic effect. So mm. I would I would say this to you. I think people who practice mindfulness tend to use psychedelics ideally. Mm. I would also reverse the equation. People who have used psychedelics actually in fact become better mindfulness practitioners. Hmm. 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 So that's a uh, that's a wonderful thing to say and a wonderful thing to hear as we're on the mindfulness experience podcast. But more importantly, um, I think that um, I uh, believe that at the root of uh, our, our our misery, as you point out, the root of our our sorrow or samsara, as the Buddhists would call it. Um, is this is this sense of lack of presencing, lack of beingness, lack of embodiment. And uh, I had someone else uh, say that if we could only learn to breathe, humanity would be better off. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering from the viewpoint of uh, your research and the medications, um, whether or not you've seen any uh, impact uh, between those people who are you know, embodied or practicing, uh, you know, the the difference between those people who might be healthy and well going into a study versus those people who might be disembodied and not really well going into the study uh, and what your thoughts are about that. I'm so glad you raised that point because we actually have an answer for you. Mm -hmm. We have actually, in fact, studied both groups of individuals. Hmm. So prior to the pause study, we have actually conducted over nine different studies looking at a meditation program we developed called the WILD-5, W-I-L-D-5. And perhaps in your show notes, you can put the link to the meditations we developed. Very short, very directed, very much for the beginner in terms of centering on the breath, in terms of body scan, in terms of focusing on gratitude, in terms of focusing on happiness. So we've developed about nine different meditations and studied them. So let me give you the top line results. And the top line results are quite simple. Mindfulness practice is good for humans, irrespective of the presence or absence of a mental illness. Hmm. I'll make you not the top line, Keith, that is worthy of deep thought. Mindfulness practices may almost act like a vaccine in terms of the prevention of future challenges with depression and anxiety. And just because I want to offer one other mm -hmm. key point to be made here, which is mindfulness practices, in fact, also enhance wellness. Hmm. So mindfulness, it almost sounds, doesn't it, that I am love, love hearing in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is one cannot deny data. I guess one can deny it one time, but to deny it nine times, mm -hmm. not that's just foolhardy. 
one might ex as well accept the fact that mindfulness interventions and mindfulness practices, let's not call them interventions, mm -hmm. mindfulness practices are as necessary for optimum mental health as I guess brushing your teeth is for optimum dental health. Mm. Wow, I love that. I love that. Uh, yeah, and uh, you can certainly tell, and I could certainly tell uh, if I've practiced or I haven't practiced or I brushed my teeth or I have brushed my teeth, in which case uh, uh, either will determine whether or not I'm having a really good day or I'm not. You know, uh, so um, let me ask you uh, another question, uh, sort of moving uh, moving the conversation more towards your advisory board. Uh, you know, you're on several advisory boards focusing on drug development and education. What are the, some what are some of the most promising avenues of research related to mental health that warrant further exploration? So, isn't it amazing? some of the most exciting areas of mm -hmm. psychiatric research are in fact with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So MDMA, obviously we are quite familiar with the truly remarkable work Rick Doblin and MAPS have done. And that is developed in the context of the pharmaceutical structure. Those studies are phase three, they are FDA approved. And MAPS showed us clearly, convincingly and lovingly that there is in fact no conflict between psychedelics and a medical model in addition to any other model that already exists, which could be the indigenous root culture model, it could be the societal use, it could be the personal rights. Those are all real models. But pharmaceutical model is also very real. And MDMA leads the charge, but it's not the only one, Keith. Psilocybin data, Mm -hmm. that it has emerged and will be emerging is exceedingly promising. It shows us that there could be dramatic movement in this abysmal mess we are in, which is low expectations and low yield with currently available medications in psychiatry. But non-psychedelic medications are also coming to the fore. So, I tend not to be monogamous in terms of believing every human illness can be solved by just psychedelics or to believe that every human illness can only be solved by pharmaceutical medications. I'm of the belief, depending on the individual's needs, whatever is necessary, let's go with that. Hmm. So my primary allegiance lies not with the class of medications, but with the patient and their needs. Mm, mm. So, you know, the saying different strokes for different folks is uh, is simplistic, perhaps. But I think from an assessment viewpoint, your view is that let's look at the individual, the biopsychosocial model. Let's look at where they come from. Let's do some of the assessments and then let's make a determination and, you know, trial and error or work with them throughout their process and see where they can potentially go. Yeah. Brilliant summation of how we need to do this. I think the moment we become dogmatic, we end up harming a patient. Mm -hmm. We end up harming a fellow human being. We're trying to make them fit into a mold rather than what we ought to do, which is to customize what their needs are. Some people do very well with psychedelics after the initial anxiety or depressive symptoms are controlled 
through whatever means necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said it right, different strokes for different folks, because we folks mm-hmm. are a jumble of different strokes. Right. <laughs> are. And as yeah. a result, um, whoever designed us, designed us in all the complexity of nature. And therefore, what we must do is respect the individuality mm-hmm. of every situation. Now, let me ask you, um, you have experience in working with adult and child adolescent populations. And I'm wondering some of the unique challenges in working with those populations and implementing uh, whether or not it's the psychedelic model or, you know, certainly, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there are certain restrictions along that line, but also just in terms of implementing maybe the mindfulness tools that you talked about, uh, you know, this wild five meditation uh, capability, uh, if I've got that right. Uh, so how, 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 because we're not, we're dealing with a neurocortex that's not quite developed and we're dealing with, you know, individuals that yet at the same point might have traumatic experiences, whether implicit or explicit, but they've, they've marked them in some way that they're having challenges. Can you speak to that uh, in, in, some detail if you feel comfortable with that of course i do one of the great regrets of my life is the fact that i didn't appreciate that very young children can in fact grasp the concepts of mindfulness Hmm. so we have a five-year-old grandson a three-year-old granddaughter and keith this is going to make you i think very happy we are already teaching them the beginnings of mindfulness of presence, and this is really important, of non-reactivity. That not every emotion that you experience must be attended to. Mm -hmm. Not every cloud that passes over your head in the sky is either danger or joy. Mm. Sometimes it's just observation. Mm -hmm. So So being being the witness, yeah? Mm -hmm. Being a witness, that is really well said. Being a witness with your mind, but not with your emotion. Uh, is a crucial technique I think five-year-olds can learn. I actually have a friend who is an art teacher Mm -hmm. in middle school. So she's teaching kids as young as 10, 11, and 12. She's a middle school art teacher in Austin. And she, five days a week, has these kids in her class. And she starts the session with a minute or two of mindfulness. Mm and she's reporting remarkably good results. So I'm not only more than happy to talk about the need for us to teach our youngsters and our elders and everybody in the middle, what I'm here to report to you, everyone can learn. Everyone has the capacity in them to pick up essential skills of mindfulness practice and the word practice must never be underestimated. There's no such thing as a mindfulness practiced. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. only a word called mindfulness practice. Therefore, ongoingness and the real focus on lack of perfectionism are two things that should be passed on to every single person who has an interest in this ancient but wonderful art of mental wellness. That's wonderful. And, you know, just for most people, I mean, we had a little conversation before about breathing and about being present. And, uh, you know, it's really 
to a large extent, we, we, we don't want to woo-woo this. It's around being uh, the physiological, biological, neurological presence of ourselves and whether or not it's the mind, the body, you know, how we're breathing, what we're eating, how we're sleeping, how we're in our relationships and how we're really handling our environment to a large extent. Would you agree with that? Yes, so we do call it breath work, but essentially mm -hmm. what it is, is taking the focus away from the past. Mm -hmm. And we also take the focus away from the future. So mm -hmm. every time I say to myself, Keith, focus on the breath as it enters your nostril, automatically, I simply cannot focus on what happened five years ago or what will happen five years from now. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is I am rescuing my mind from the clutches of my default mode network. Mm -hmm. And my default mode network has a voracious appetite. It wants to eat me up. Mm. It wants to it wants to keep me hooked. Mm -hmm. It wants me to think about the past and the future. So if you focus on your breath, that's wonderful. Now, I come from a tradition of Jainism, which is a religion. And there the focus is on an object or an entity, but it's exactly the mm -hmm. same thing. Mm -hmm. The take home message I think of mindfulness is really to stay, I think I'm just going to quote you, I think is to stay in the present moment without passing judgment by itself mm -hmm. breaks the hold of the past and the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's uh, that's great. Uh, now, I want to ask you, um, and I, I do want to move out of the present moment for a second. And I just want to uh, just sort of uh, uh, delve into and dive into your reflections about the uh, Psychedelic Science 2023 MAPS convention. You know, it was amazing. We talked about it a little bit before. There were over 12,000 people in attendance. There were over 300 speakers. There were all types of people from all walks of life. I'm just wondering if you could share maybe some of your highlights or some of your insights, maybe off the top of the head in terms of what you remember and maybe what you think about or what you thought about uh, the convention as you reflect on it, as, we, as you reflect within this short window of two, three seconds that I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. And yeah. you brought back some joyful memories, Keith. Yeah. So the first thing I might say is I've never been to a convention like this in my entire life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just the size of the convention. 12,000 people is a lot mm -hmm. of people. But I think it's the quality of people that really, mm -hmm. really sticks in my memory, Keith. The mm -hmm. quality. Hmm. who are these people and they were there for a purpose they hmm. weren't there to get certification or a cme they were there to connect with like-minded people mm -hmm. the affection the bonding the connection even when we were arguing hmm. there were a lot of arguments about is maps going too pharmaceutical is it becoming too corporate-y um, are we focusing enough on indigenous rights and needs? There were some arguments within our own little family, but we did it well. We did it without having major conflict. Mm. The other thing that really sticks out in my memory, interestingly, would be Rick Doblin's opening session. Mm. Those who haven't watched it, mm -hmm. well, first thing, visuals. He was dressed in a spectacular white suit, which I think he did on purpose 
white is the color of love and peace and harmony and joy. I think he did that on purpose, mm -hmm. but his words were mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm. They were measured, they were optimistic, they were realistic. And of course, uh, I really loved, interestingly, the presentation by the ex-governor of Texas that followed him. Me too. <laughs> yes, yes, wasn't yeah, he? Rick Perry was unbelievable. Yeah, he really was. He was. <laughs> he was. So I know a lot of people have strong thoughts about Rick Perry and about the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And I understand folks, but may I tell you, just keep an open heart. Mm. Rick Perry was honest. He said he came to psychedelics the way in many ways I did, which is to watch it in action. Mm -hmm. He saw what it did to his friends who were vets and ever so slowly and gently, he has turned his attention to actually becoming a strong supporter. Mm -hmm. His approach is a bit different. That's okay. But to have someone who is quote unquote conservative support the cause of psychedelic medicine is very important. Mm. I gotta say, Keith, there wasn't one session I went to where I would have said, eh, this was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But I also want to add one final word, which is while MAPS was incredible, it was the post-MAPS get-togethers mm -hmm. and connections and conversations and parties and dinners and, oh, I don't know, coffee together. That was most remarkable. So I can't wait for the next MAPS. I hope it happens every single year. But from what I'm told, it'll probably be a every two-year event. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, with 12,000 people there, I was surprised that there were no real fights, that there was nothing that really broke out or anything else like that. And, uh, you know, people were really looking at uh, ways of uh, ascending beyond the stigma and beyond the boundaries that I think, uh, you know, uh, have kept a lot of the mental wellness and the health and well-being uh, out of the picture. And we are seeing a lot of the efficacy and a lot of the science that you well know of, uh, you know, really showing the way. Let me ask you finally, what advice would you give to mental health professionals considering incorporating psychedelics into their practice or to individuals interested in exploring psychedelics for their mental well-being? And exploring psychedelics for your own mental well-being is uh getting legalized mm -hmm. so it's no longer really underground so for example use me as an example keith mm -hmm. i went to colorado two years ago or so and i worked with uh, a very much overground therapist with cannabis assisted mm -hmm. psychedelic therapy mm -hmm. it was remarkable mm -hmm. keith I had four separate experiences over two days completely legal completely beneficial mm -hmm. and that model is about to appear in oregon and mm -hmm. soon in colorado what would i say i'm so glad you asked that because mm -hmm. i want to hold two very different thoughts in my heart and my mind at the same time thought one is this is a good idea this is a good idea do it dear friends dear fellow human being do it do it with thought don't be pushed around into a higher dose than you're ready Make sure you do very good preparation work. Mm -hmm. What that entails, maybe some other time, Keith, you and I can talk about it. Make sure you're with a guide you feel entirely, feel great trust and comfort with, mm -hmm. and also be ready after the experience is over to start the real work. Mm -hmm. The real work is not, it's not 
the experience with the psychedelic. That, dear friends, is perhaps 10% of what you will get from your journey. The other 90% is the work you're willing to do and to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. But the other part that I really want to hold in my heart, and I want others to do the same, which is to appreciate the potential dangers of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Uh, at MAPS this year, I must tell you, I watched the adulting of the psychedelic movement. Mm-hmm. I did not see a pushback mm-hmm. to those of us who were expressing some reservations about psychedelics. I did not get called a traitor for mm-hmm. saying some people, 1%, half percent, whatever the numbers might be, in fact, psychedelics are not appropriate for them. We might end up doing a lot of harm to them. Mm-hmm. I got no pushback. Wow. Adulting is coming to the psychedelic space. So Keith, that's my advice to folks. Make sure psychedelics are right for you. Number two, make sure you prepare appropriately. Step three, during the journey, be with someone who you are very confident in. Trust them. And of course, never ever forget the fourth step that the real work starts after the journey. And here's the really good news, folks. The real work would last for an entire lifetime, Mm. if you so wish. What a wonderful, what Mm -hmm. an absolutely wonderful gift from psychedelics Mm -hmm. we humans can receive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. And I uh, really uh, deeply appreciate you Um, You know, sending up the red flag for some people because, you know, it's important to uh, uh, be cautious to recognize that this is your body, this is your life that you're taking into account. It's your mind, your spirit, your body, all of that. And uh, you really want a better relationship with yourself so that you can have a better relationship with others. So if you're opening up to that, if you're preparing, if you're trusting, and if you're integrating what it is that you learned and activating it in your life, then, you know, it's a good pathway, but uh, go, you know, slowly, don't, don't run, right? You know, and, and be careful. You don't want to, you don't want to slip and fall. So um, that's uh, absolutely wonderful. And thank you, Dr. Jane, for um, providing your insights. I really want to thank you for joining the Mindfulness Experience podcast. If people want to get a hold of you uh, and learn more about your work, uh, how would they go about doing that? I know uh, you had mentioned certainly the uh, Wild Five uh, meditation notes, but uh, are there other uh, points of reference that they might uh, use? Yeah, I will give you a website they can come visit where, by the way, Wild 5 resides and it's completely free. So people can grab it from the website. And that website is www.jane, which is my last name, J-A-I-N, uplift, U-P-L-I-F-T dot com. And Jane Uplift is one word. And I would invite people to come check it out. If you do want to connect with me through that website, you are able to do so. Excellent. So www.jainuplift.com. And again, thank you so much uh, for being on the Mindfulness Experience podcast and doing your work, uh, your your service and your um, your insights are invaluable and you've helped so many people. And I, I'm sure that through the show here, you'll be helping so many more. Thank you. Pleasure, Keith. And thank you for the work you do. Be well, my friend.
Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.